The next hour will inform you on how cybersecurity is one of the most significant threats to our national security, as well as the battle that cybersecurity experts are undergoing every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Welcome to Task Force 7 Radio with your host, the president and CEO of Task Force 7 Radio and Task Force 7 Technologies, George Reedus. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the episode number 19 of Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm your host, George Reedus. I want to emphasize that all opinions expressed in this show are my own and not that of my present or past employers. I will never knowingly disclose any sense of intelligence that I have been privileged to as a result of my current employment. I never knowingly disclose any classified information related to any security clearances I presently hold or have held in the past with the United States government. And as always, I want to remind our listeners that you can go online to the Cybersecurity Hub and read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at their very cool website, www.cshub.com. So the Cybersecurity Hub is an online news source for global cybersecurity professionals and business leaders who leverage technology and services to secure their networks. Now, most people who listen to this show have a genuine interest in cybersecurity, just like me. And being that the Cybersecurity Hub is full of cybersecurity information that you will not only find interesting, but could even help you in your day-to-day jobs, for instance, especially if you're in the cybersecurity business, of course, specifically, I highly recommend you check out this website and make it part of your daily routine. So the media professionals at the Cybersecurity Hub are dedicated to providing the latest industry news, thought leadership, and analysis in the cybersecurity space. Again, to check out a recap of tonight's show, and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news, go to the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. So Rick Garrett's crushed it last week with the numbers. Man, I got to say, this guy, what a stand-up guy he is. I mean, he was great to have on the show. Everybody respects Rick. He comes to the table with a ton of integrity. He's just so focused on, on solving the problems and helping people. I really enjoyed speaking with him, and I I hope to develop a a great partnership with him in Life Journey with the Task Force 7 Cybersecurity Network. So if you missed last week's episode, and especially if you're interested in scalable mentorships specifically, and how we can help people translate their skill sets in the cybersecurity job market, make sure you visit one of the playback stations to hear the playback of the show, because it was just a great show, and what a a great response on, on social media we got with Rick. And his appearance. So, now aside from hearing us on, on the Voice America Business Channel, one of the easiest ways you can listen to playbacks of different episodes of the show is just to go to our website at www.taskforce7radio.com and hit the Episodes tab. So, you just go to our website, taskforce7radio.com, hit the Episodes tab, and once you're there, you can easily scroll through every episode of Task Force 7 Radio that's been aired on Voice America. So, it's that easy. The site's easy to navigate. We're updating it all the time. You can take a look at the bios of our guests or our guest hosts, and, and we're improving the website nonstop. So, it's a great place to visit and learn more about Task Force 7 Radio. And don't forget, for your convenience, you can also find all prior Task Force 7 Radio episodes for playback on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn.com, Stitcher.com, and Player.fm. So we're all over the place. Just Google us, type in Task Force 7 Radio, and all of your options will come up. We're also on social media, so no matter what your favorite social media platform is, we've got a presence. Uh, LinkedIn, you can search at Task Force 7 Radio. Facebook, Twitter, and even Instagram, search at TF7 Radio. And please, if you're a big fan of the show, whether you're on iTunes or one of our podcast sites or one of our social media sites, 
please help us to get the word out by leaving a review and giving us five stars. So we appreciate everyone who takes the time to do that. So we have another great show for you tonight. We have a dear friend of mine as a guest on the show tonight. I mean, we have Robert Rodriguez on deck for the second and third segments of episode 19 of TF7 Radio. So in addition to being the chairman and founder of Signet, Robert served over 22 years as a special agent with the United States Secret Service. We have very, very similar backgrounds. Uh, we did a lot of the same things in the Secret Service. We have a lot of the same interests and passions. And so we clicked together very, very well. His executive protection experience spanned 10 years at the White House, serving presidents Ronald Reagan, George Bush, William Clinton, and numerous heads of state. So during his career, he held a number of leadership roles with the executive protection, protective intelligence, inspection, and criminal investigation divisions. It's given a wide variety of leadership experience. I mean, that's a lot of different experience that someone brings to the table. And in a bunch of different protective and investigative domains. So the company he founded is the Security Innovation Network, called Signet, and whose mission is to advance innovation and enable global collaboration between the public and private sectors to defeat cybersecurity threats. You know, how cool is that? It's a cool job, man. It's a cool job, and he is really, really good at it. So Signet serves as the nucleus that connects the builders, the buyers, the researchers, investors in this cybersecurity domain, in this cybersecurity ecosystem that we have. So Signet accelerates business opportunities for both small and large companies through strategic advisory services. They do community building. They, have, they do a lot of community building activities and a lot of networking events, but it's not commercialized, and I'm going to have him talk about that a little bit too. So they have what's called the Annual IT Entrepreneurs Forum. It's called ITSEF. It's at Stanford University. They also have the Innovation Summit at Columbia University in New York, the Signet Showcase at, in Washington, D.C., and, and they're, they're supported by the U.S. Department of Homeland Security Science and Technology Directorates, and, and the public and private sponsorships, excuse me, and an elite steering committee there. So they really are very, very well connected, very well connected. So Robert, he's the catalyst. He's the catalyst who leads and builds global collaboration models. He does this to advance innovation, and he connects the ecosystem of the entrepreneur, academia, science, private industry, the investment banking folks. He gets involved, system integration. Uh, integration. He gets those people involved. The integrators are always involved. He deals a lot with policy. The innovators are key to his platform. He's got law enforcement personnel. Obviously, we, we both have a huge law enforcement background. He's got a lot of uh, contacts in law enforcement, which he leverages for his network he uses the venture capital folks. He's, got a, you know, he's part of a, venture, a small venture capital firm. I don't know if we're going to be able to get to that tonight, but I'm going to try to get to it. And he's also obviously got a lot of federal government contacts to include the civilian, military, and intelligence agencies apparatus. So he's known for building communities of interest and trust between disparate groups. And uh, I'm going to see if we can get him to talk a little bit about this trust because it's important for what he does for cybersecurity. So Signet initiatives and advisory services accelerate both large and small companies, the business growth, increase awareness of innovative cybersecurity technologies, and helps develop relationships between system integration industry and the federal government to collaborate on addressing IT security challenges, needs, and opportunities. So Robert's a big deal, man. He serves on the board of advisors for the Chertoff Group, as well as the board of directors for the National Cybersecurity Hall of Fame. And he's a certified graduate of the federal government's senior executive service program. 
Roberts, also a recipient of the 2009 CSO Magazine Compass Award in recognition of outstanding leadership in the security field. So stay with us. Robert Rodriguez coming up next on the second and third segments of the show. You're not going to want to miss it. So almost all the cybersecurity news over the last two weeks has centered around the talent crisis, and rightfully so in a lot of respect. And how it's just getting worse and worse by the day. I mean, just worse and worse. It's not getting better, and, and, and how the, the number of companies negatively affected by the cybersecurity crisis keeps rising. It just keeps going up. And as a result, cybersecurity wages are far outpacing other job markets. Good news for cybersecurity people. Bad news for companies, but good news for cybersecurity people. And, and they're outpacing job markets even in the broader technology space. Uh, so, look, and the number of women in cybersecurity, I haven't seen the numbers increasing. I mean, if I look over the, even the, the trends over the last 12, 24 months, it, let's just say it's, it's depressing. Okay? It's depressing. We're not solving the problem. We're not doing anything that to solve this problem, at least doing the right things, I think. And still, there's no, there's no clear strategy has emerged to solve what seems to be our biggest challenge, in the cybersecurity market, which is the, the, the talent crisis. And therefore, our, our national security is at risk because of it. So despite all the naysayers on social media who now probably more than ever, every day probably going back trying to find out all their posts saying we don't have a you know, cybersecurity talent crisis. Everyone must be just losing their mind or just trying to make money or get listeners or whatever. That's ridiculous. Of course, we have a, 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 a crisis. It's huge. And so those people, I think, are just becoming more discredited every day and they're probably going back looking for other comments so they can delete them i would imagine at least if they're not they should so all the cybersecurity threats that the the south koreans are facing at the olympics is kind of you know par for the course i guess in the cybersecurity space and this is a natural occurrence with the broader use of technology these emerging technologies they just can't seem to be constantly created without any thought whatsoever of security in mind I mean, the more we use these emerging technologies, the more our world is connected, the more threats we're going to face, the more fraud that's going to happen, the more breaches are going to occur, and the less safe we're all going to be if we don't start building things with security in mind from the beginning. So, I mean, I, I'm hearing right away, one of the biggest recommendations and recurring themes out of the Olympics is that if, if you're not using Wi-Fi or Bluetooth technologies, just to turn them off. I mean, it's, a, it's almost akin to attending a Black Hat conference in Vegas, right? It seems that if you even turn your phone on, your laptop on, you're, you're bound to get hacked in a matter of seconds. So I kind of feel that's the same type of atmosphere that exists out at the Olympics. And it just goes to show you, you know, things aren't getting better in terms of the risk introduced into our environment by emerging technologies when we don't have security at the forefront of what we do and what we build. So I want to follow up a little bit about the theme of last week's opening segment, and that's the lack of the sense of urgency around cybersecurity strategies and process in America, unless it has something to do with regulation. I was having this conversation with some friends last week, and they kind of all agreed, some very senior business folks. It's just seem, everything seems to be regulatory-driven, all these discussions. I, I don't know why the dialogue has to be so regulatory-driven all the time, and people can't get money or budget unless it has to satisfy some regulatory requirement. Now, I have to say, for some of the, the larger Fortune 500 firms out there, implementing a framework that mirrors NIST standards, that, that's not an earth-shattering achievement, okay? I mean, let's face it. It's, it's, it's NIST. I mean, whether it's NIST or the 27,001 or whatever, these are very basic, commonsensical levels of controls, very basic frameworks. They're, they're not, in my mind, advanced frameworks for very mature, advanced cybersecurity initiatives. 
Okay, so you meet some of this guidelines. You know, check. You got 27,001 certified. Check. Right? I mean, now I'm focused on whatever's everybody the craze is GDPR. You can't have a, a, a talk around data protection without talking about GDPR. Which, by the way, hey, look, it, 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 a good chunk of companies are not ready for GDPR yet, so it's good to have a conversation about it, right? I mean, there's some good things that are coming on out of GDPR. I'm not, you know, poo-pooing on it. All I'm saying is, where is the, where is the conversation around risk and value? It's always regulatory. It's always regulatory. It's always regulatory. I'm telling, let me tell you something. We should not be managing our controls relative to regulatory guidance. They have, these cybersecurity initiatives have to evolve from risk and value. And so I'm going to ask our next guest, Robert Rodriguez, uh, about that and what he thinks. I want to get into it with him about this a little bit. So we're going to take a quick break. Don't go away, folks. We'll be right back with my good friend Bobby Rod after these short messages. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Higher education faces lots of changes. If you are a student, educator, or in the workforce, you'll want to tune into Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. Your host, Dave Goldberg, and his guests will explore the innovations that higher education adopts as it reinvents itself. The world of higher education is constantly changing. Stay on top and stay ahead of the rest. Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. Listen Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Do you need directions to solid financial future? If so, the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern for the Money Answers Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm here with our special guest, the CEO and founder of Cynet, the Security Innovation Network, Mr. Robert Rodriguez. Robert, welcome to the show. George, pleasure to be here. Great, great to talk with you again. Great, great to have you, brother. So look, you and I served in the Secret Service together. You were out there on the West Coast. I was out here on the East Coast. And I venture to say that your time in the Secret Service 
helped shape your view of the world, just like it did for me. So tell me about your time at the Secret Service, what you did there, what were your experiences, and how it helped you shape the opinions that you have today of the challenges we face in the cybersecurity space. So definitely you know, traveling to 60 countries, Air Force One, Marine One, four different presidents, President Reagan, Bush 41, President Clinton, Bush 43. Um, those opportunities to watch history being made, to go to to cities and, and towns and countries that I otherwise would have never been able to to visit and observe definitely shaped my, my view of the world. But I think more importantly, the the mission and the culture of the Secret Service shaped me uh, more as an individual and as a, a founder and, and um, chairman of Cynet and bringing what I what I consider core principles and values to protecting the integrity of our brand. And George, you remember the brand of the Secret Service, right? Oh, yeah. Worthy of trust and confidence. That's right. To me, to me those words are, are more important than any other words out there. Um, if you don't have trust with, with any, your family, your friends, yeah, your company, um, you, you pretty much don't have anything. So you and I have been working very closely together uh, on a lot of different things for, for quite some time now. And I'm very familiar with what Signet does. And I went over a little bit what Signet does in the, in the first segment as I introduced you and, and the company uh, and, and what you do. But our listeners just have that, that short sort of high-level overview that I gave them. And most people, they leave the government. They don't become an entrepreneur right out of the gate. That's not what people do. I mean, you, you've done something very unique here. And even less people are really successful at it. So let's start out with why you created Signet. And, and I want people to hear, you know, what was your motivating force behind creating what is now the most powerful and in many ways, I think, the most influential in-person face-to-face security networks in the world. I mean, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, I would say that if I look back to 2001, December 18th is the day I I arrived in San Francisco from Washington, D.C. to conclude the last two and a half years of my tenure with my wife and three children who were all very young then. And the opportunity to build out the Electronic Crimes Task Force in San Francisco and Northern California was life-changing. What happened for me is I was so mission-focused the first Five years, um, the five years that I spent in San Francisco, from 92 to 97, uh, counterfeit investigations, intelligence, uh, protection, uh, I, just so mission-focused that my head was down on, on the task at hand. The second time, because of the task to build a purpose-driven community and build trust with corporations for the task force, and bring in the venture capitalists and the academics and the entrepreneurs as part of the ecosystem, it opened my eyes. And I found love with the entrepreneurial spirit of Silicon Valley. I saw an opportunity to make a difference, and I've never looked back since then. Well, it has made quite quite the difference. I mean, so that's why you created it. That's sort of how you came up with the idea and the strategy of how you wanted to become an entrepreneur but how have you beaten the odds and become so enormously successful? I mean, what's the secret sauce of becoming a successful entrepreneur first time right out of the gate? Well, I, I touched on it a minute ago about trust, but I think a couple of things. So people, 
surrounding yourself with the smartest and the brightest. I like to call it the Ronald Reagan management style, where he believed that by promoting and working with people that were smarter and more talented than him, that we all rise. I'm a big believer in that. I could put my ego in the pocket, number one. Number two, having the ability to, to see gaps, to see areas where you, that are weak or need help, and then create value within those, those gaps. And then number three, protect the integrity of the brand at all costs. So sign it's based on a mission. Our mission is to advance innovation to defeat global cybersecurity threats. Number two, protect the integrity of the brand, again, at all costs. Number three, money. So money is not the driving force for me or Signet. Um, it's, it's, it comes later when you do one and two right. Right. And, and then I think lastly, just ensuring that the attention to detail and the building of trust within the ecosystem of the entrepreneur is first and foremost. And do not compromise on um, situations or venues or speakers. Examples might be if the director of NSA can't do the keynote and I can't get a, a, a keynote of that level or the CEO of British, uh, uh, British Telecom or BP, um, I won't have a keynote. I don't sell vendor booths. I feel that selling vendor booths, selling speaking spots, although those are revenue producers, detract from the mission and the culture and the energy in the room that I want to see. My whole focus is all about supporting small business and entrepreneurs and providing the platform for the business to cyber to take place. And when I can create this environment of trust between the investor the innovator and the buyer so that they have success later on with meetings and, and hopefully investments, purchase a product, uh, clearances uh, from the NSA or the intelligence community. When I hear those stories months, years later, I literally get a chill on my spine. I mean, that to me is success. So the passion is definitely there. I mean, you talk a lot about how important collaboration is and you talk about the trusted relationships, you know, foregoing the, the boost, the, the vendor boost and things like that for building those trusted relationships in an environment that's conducive with people talking and starting to solve problems. How important is collaboration between the private sector, the public sector, academia, science, all these people, all these entities in the cybersecurity ecosystem, how important is collaboration when we're looking at solving these cybersecurity problems that we face every day? I don't think that anybody would disagree that the importance of collaboration is critical between the public and the private sector. You know, if you think back when the words public-private partnership came up, uh, 2001, 2002, 3, 4, and it was actually um, viewed as words that meant nothing. They were used, overused. There was uh, a lack of deliverables. And I think those words took a hit. But over the last five years, whether you're in Australia, you're in the United Kingdom, uh, Canada, U.S., et cetera, those words are used, but they're used meaningfully through financial support from federal governments to support critical infrastructure, to support entrepreneurs, to support scientists and professors conducting research and development in the cybersecurity domain. The CISOs have been promoted and elevated 
to, I would call them executive risk officers and not as highly technical as they were five, 10 years ago. They have relationships with the board of directors that they never had before. In fact, some of these CISOs sit on publicly traded corporations as board members. So there's been this transition and change um, that I've witnessed over the years. So all this transformation that you're seeing, I'm curious to know, I talked about this the, the last the last episode, what is the, who's the most advanced, the private sector, the public sector, academia, who's the most advanced in your mind in, in the cybersecurity space? Well, I think you'd have to break it down into um, three areas. So if you think about the opportunity and ability to move at warp speed within industry and the dynamic environment that they've been able to create with disruptive platforms, the gig economy, they don't have the regulation and barriers that uh, government uh, has. But then if you look at the intelligence community, or NSA, or CIA, um, the DNI, I think we have some of the most talented and bright people who are working not because of money, but because of the passion and mission that they, that they believe in, and a purpose and a commitment to protect the well-being of our citizens and our, and our privacy and our inherent freedoms. Uh, and then in terms on the research and development side, I think industry may have the edge there only because their, their ability and their culture to move fast. So you're talking a lot about innovation and, uh, in, in, in your events and, and, and some of the other things that you do, especially in the cybersecurity space, because it's so critical to be successful. We need the innovation to solve some of these problems. And, and one of the things that we talk a lot about on this show is that there are about a dozen different domains in cybersecurity. So in your opinion, where should we be investing the most? What domain of cybersecurity requires our, our, the most innovation, the most attention right now, or is it really just all of them? Well, I, it's all of them always, but let's prioritize because at the end of the day, that CISO or that CTO or CIO, they have a dollar and they can only spend on five things out of 20 or whatever it is. I believe that knowledge is king and that AI, machine learning, deep learning is going to transform the way we view insider threat, um, identity management, authentication, uh, cloud, all the areas that were that you, you mentioned these different sectors to the next level because getting that look for example we talk about finding the needle in the haystack well to me that's old news we got to find the needle in the haystack of needles and then prioritize that and make it actionable in real time whether you're in the intelligence community or you're on madison avenue with with marketing or you're you're a researcher or you're a CISO protecting a network um, or developing product to support industry and government, to me, that's that's the area. The other areas that are important to CISOs are resiliency, right? I mean, we've moved from trying to prevent and protect to detect to we know they're in. And if we do go down, tell me, as the CEO of a Fortune 500 company, what, what are the risks and then what what is the damage potentially and wh- how minimal damage can, can you assure me that we're going to have to deal with? So, so aside from being a very, very influential professional 
a very persuasive guy with a ton of integrity when you come to this space. Aside from that, how do you go about raising awareness among these different entities in the cybersecurity ecosystem so that you can get them to foster more innovation and disruption in the marketplace? Because, and especially academia, because I, I got to tell you, in my experience, academia is especially challenging trying to move the needle. And that's, I, I think I'm being nice when I say that. I mean, what, what, what's been your experience? Um, okay. A couple things. There is so much noise out there between vendors, um, emails, Facebook, LinkedIn, just data, data overload. And I still believe in that old bank commercial, one, one customer at a time. Uh, I'm old school in that regard. And when I evangelize either at my event or I spoke at Cybertech in Israel a week ago, it, it, I have a mission statement and I have a, a purpose and a commitment, uh, a tone to what I'm talking about. And that all of us within cybersecurity have a higher calling. And we're not just lucky. We're blessed to be in this field. You think about the demand and the onus of responsibility to protect critical infrastructure, protect privacy, protect brand of corporations to protect the government and our inherent freedoms. Again, we have a higher calling. And I think that sometimes people forget about that. They're, they're focused on their mission. They're focused on their product development. They're focus, focused on, on sales. And I think that we need to take a step back and think about how important that role is. And, and I, again, I do, um, I try, I can't do it anymore, but I try to send an email to everybody I meet. So I have some kind of personal touch. I invite them to get on the innovation train and to join us at Signet, whether it's in Toronto, we're going to Toronto this year, Sydney, Melbourne, Scottsdale, DC, New York, London, and be part of a purpose-driven community. It's not for everybody. And, and I, can't, I can't change everyone's tone or, or mind. That's fine. But those that want to get on the innovation train, let's So let's go. talk specifically about entrepreneurs and, and, and VC folks. I mean, we know a ton of the entrepreneurs come from Silicon Valley. And I think about one third of the country's venture capitalists, and I think it's, it's at least one third, maybe it's even m much more than that, are from the Silicon Valley area where, where you're located. So how important are the entrepreneurs and venture capitalists in the cybersecurity ecosystem specifically, especially considering the, you know, the challenges that we're facing now? Well, they do come from um, uh, from the Silicon Valley, most of them. I mean, there's pockets in Austin, Boston, New York, D.C., and there's hubs coming out of St. Louis in the Midwest. I'm really excited to see uh, these clusters of entrepreneurs and accelerators. Uh, part of the challenge back five, ten years ago is that the jets with the venture capitalists and the investment bankers and the entrepreneurs are flying coast to coast over the cornfield and they're not stopping. Um, but so – the Midwest has been building their own ecosystem and they're tying into Signet. For example, 630, they just uh, offered to partner with Signet 16 Award where they give $100,000 of training. I think it's a six-month course, but they're doing it for free for one of the companies that they select of the, of the top 16 that were, that were awarded this year. 120 companies applied globally and then $100,000 of investment. So we're tying in the coast and the global network that Signet has into the Midwest. Because you have to think about the relationships that we have. They're global, 
And we've created this trusted virtual digital highway that connects the investor, the buyer, and the innovator. So we were talking about innovators. And, you know, I just, when you said that, I think to myself, we're always talking about innovation and these are the, who are the real true innovators and how to, and how do they facilitate more innovation? I think the true innovators are those that are extremely curious. I think that if you look at, if you were to ask entrepreneurs what some of their traits are, they're going to say, um, I'm curious. I have a vision. I have the ability to see gaps within the marketplace. I'm passionate. I dream and I believe. And as a result, they sacrifice. They sacrifice their family. They sacrifice birthdays. They sacrifice mortgage payments. I haven't met an entrepreneur who doesn't believe in what they build. Um, unfortunately, sometimes they're believing in something that doesn't fit the market need. Because the market need is so uh, demanding, but you need to be in that that top percentage of of not nice to have. So the innovators, I mean, these CEOs of startups, these entrepreneurs, what do they care about the most when they create their companies? So they go to market, they have an MVP, they launch. What do they care about the most? And and is it the right white thing most of the time? Because most of them fail, right? Most of them fail. Well, I hope most of them believe in, in a passion and a mission of, of changing the world, right? If you think of what innovation really is, innovation, the best way to advance innovation is to increase awareness that better society. So a lot of things that are, are built by entrepreneurs are to better society. So, you know, uh, Uber platform, uh, Lyft platform, Airbnb, Frankly, sometimes in Facebook and, and sometimes the technology is is gone too far and it, it, it creates adverse uh, situations, which we're witnessing now with with these platforms. But but with the, with the entrepreneur, they um, to me is, is, is their passion. All right, Robert, we're going to step away for some words from our sponsors. So don't go away, folks. We'll be right back with more from Robert Rodriguez after these short messages. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Higher education faces lots of changes. If you are a student, educator, or in the workforce, you'll want to tune into Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. Your host, Dave Goldberg, and his guests will explore the innovations that higher education adopts as it reinvents itself. The world of higher education is constantly changing. Stay on top and stay ahead of the rest. Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. Listen Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Do you need directions to solid financial future? If so, the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern for the Money Answers Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities 
commodities and real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm back with our guest, the CEO and founder of Signet, the Security Innovation Network, Robert Rodriguez. So, Bobby, we were talking about cybersecurity and some of the threats that we're, we're currently facing and some of the challenges we have in the industry. Is cybersecurity the biggest threat to our national security now? What's your take? I was just in Davos last week. I co-hosted an event with the Cyber Future Foundation and while we were there, a report came out. They interviewed, the WEF interviewed, I don't know how many CEOs, but a lot of global CEOs of what was the biggest concern and threat to the world. Number one was a natural disaster, and, and number two was climate, and number three was cybersecurity. My opinion is nuclear weapons, number one right now. Number two, cybersecurity. And the reason I say that is because cyber touches everything. Cyber has become like the air we breathe. If you look at robotics and AI and drones and other areas, they touch segments of of society. But cyber is, um, it's everywhere. And, and, And because of that, the footprint of vulnerabilities continues to increase with the proliferation of phones and then apps, et cetera. The IoT market um, is massive and unprotected. Third-party vendor risk management is another area um, that's very difficult and challenging. For the CISOs and the professionals that are protecting both government and industry networks, they have a huge responsibility task at hand. So being that you're in this space nonstop, you're very well connected, probably the most connected individual in the cybersecurity space at the highest levels, both the public and the private sectors. What are the biggest trends in cybersecurity that you're seeing right now? I'm seeing some cultural trends. Um, and then in terms of, of uh, technology, so let me start with the cultural trends. I'm having um, conversations with uh, CEOs of uh, early stage emerging growth companies lately, I'd say over the last year or so, in particular six months, that they're having a very, very difficult time getting to the CISO. And they're, they want to change their approach and their model. They say that um, it, they, so they ask my opinion. I say, I think you need to get more towards a building a culture that is more mission-based, that wants to go in and be a partner and listen 
to the CISO and build trust with the CISO. For example, at RSA, you know, everybody wants to have a booth. When I walk the floor, and I, I, I don't really walk the floor anymore. I don't even go to RSA. But when I do, and I know a lot of CISOs, I might see one or two over an hour and a half period. Um, they're all in the, on the um, suites. They're in the, on the floor of the hotel lobby. They're not at RSA unless they're speaking or, or what have you. And so they, the companies are now hosting meetings and leveraging the community of RSA to do that. And then some companies will take either on during that week customers or potential customers to the wine country and host a thought leadership program, not a pitch, but a thought leadership program, again, to, to educational, have dinner, spend a couple nights, do, tour the wine, build relationships. You know, this, this whole thing I talk about with relationships and building trust, even though we're in this digitized world that is at warp speed and our tension spans are limited, you're never going to be, you're never replace trust in, in a handshake. Right. That's always going to be there. It, it's hard to scale though. And uh, it, it's difficult, but that's one of the, the trends I'm seeing culturally. The other thing, sometimes I think the companies are so um, hungry because there's a, there's a million vendors out there. There's so much noise and there's, there's, it's hard to differentiate between the solutions and what people really are selling and doing that, they um, it causes them to be too aggressive and too pushy, and I think that's going to hurt hurt their brand. The other thing is the marketing people I I, I see out there. Too many times they're hiring inexperienced, um, aggressive, low level marketing people that don't understand um, the purpose of a, of a strong culture within a company, and, th- and that hurts their reputation. In terms of technology, I, I got to be honest with you. We we host the site at sixteen every year. Been doing that since twenty ten. We collect information on the company's number of patents. Are they venture backed? Revenues have to be under fifteen million to compete. Um, executive team, what they do, how they do it, etc. And then we take this data and we we present it to a hundred judges. We have judges again, part of that ecosystem of the entrepreneur. The beauty of sign it is the, the diversity of it by profession, not by color, but by profession. So venture capitalists, we have the largest VC firms who are judges, like Ted Schlein at Kleiner Perkins, NEA, Andreessen Horowitz, my small venture firm. Then we have CISOs from Goldman Sachs and Wells Fargo, uh, uh, people from tech companies like uh, Uber, et cetera. And then the government, NSA, DOD, that, that judge uh, the companies on the, on the application. And we do see incremental change, but I'm disappointed. Where's where's the fire? Where's the light bulb, right? That's going to disrupt this whole market and the space. So that part's been been slow to come. I think you're going to see more companies get into the AI space um, and deep learning and, you know, machine to deep learning space. Of course, you know, identity management, authentication, we're, that, that has been slow to um, – to get to be precise and to be perfect. That's an area that, that needs help. I mean, there's so many areas, cloud security, um, insider threat, UVA, just goes on and on. So I've been talking a lot about the lack of urgency and sense of purpose here in America around cybersecurity. And I think you just touched on a little bit. And I just want to ask, you know, I see, I see other countries, I see the Israelis having an enormous amount of innovation 
uh, over in Tel Aviv and around cybersecurity. And now they're starting a lot of startups over in New York City. Uh, and, and there's even been word about creating, you know, New York City as the cybersecurity hub uh, of America now. And so why are other countries able to, and this might be sort of a no-brainer question, but in terms of the Israelis, but why are they able to do it and we're not able to do it? Why are, why are you disappointed when you see the innovation and the, the lack of fire and sense of urgency and purpose out of, out of, our, out of our companies and out of our professionals? What is it? Well, I, I do see this, the sense of purpose and commitment out of our professionals. What I was talking more specifically was the lack of innovative technologies that can disrupt the, the marketplace, Okay, it's it's been incremental, and there's a lot of noise out. Yeah, there. but I mean, the Israelis so, seem to be thriving at that. Everyone's setting up innovation yeah, so centers, on, there, right? On, I have a I have a strong opinion on on the Israelis. So this is my second time. I went there uh, three years ago, and they were so warm and embracing me and connecting me into the highest level of the leaders from the industry and government. Their culture is amazing. I, I love I love their culture. Um, they, they, once again, they were just unbelievably warm. Uh, I can't say enough about, about them. The reason they are the way they are, I believe, is you have to think of they're surrounded by an island of sand of constant 24-7, 365 threat. And when you live like that, you are almost inherently DNA forced born to be um, innovative to um, evaluate risk at a different level from a different perspective constantly. If you look at their airports, the way they manage their airports versus other airports. And I think that is the driving force, why they have such tremendous diversity in their innovation. I think the difference between U.S. and them is they have more diversity in their solutions. And they're, they're willing to, to move to America and, and attack this market. Um, I think so. I think that um, those inherent nuances of society and where they live and the constant threat that they live with um, is, is a driving force. Now, America, we have tremendous innovation coming out of America, but it's not just in Silicon Valley. I mean, if you look at some of the companies coming out of the UK, like Digital Shadows, or some of the companies coming out of um, uh, uh, Australia and Canada, the, the solutions. Um, they've got some great answers too. And what's important here is we can't stovepipe our boundaries because cyber has no boundaries. They have no zip code. And not only do we need to share information between our respective governments, but we need to share our most innovative pitchforks and spades to fight the war and to share those type of solutions and technologies amongst our trusted allies. So I kind of feel... And I talked about this a little bit earlier on the show. I kind of feel that a lot of the, the, the innovation that's driven here in some respects is in the, at least some of the companies and the processes, the strategy, the, the process improvement, reengineering uh, exercises that go, people go through are just regulatory based. Everyone's worried about, you know, what other they have. They're, they're meeting in this framework or they're, they're 27,001 certified or there, you know, the GDPR coming up. I talked a little bit about that, but there's not the, the the talks of risk around cybersecurity are not threat based in a lot of times. They're regulatory based. So, I mean, where's the where's the where's the conversation around 
risk and value when implementing a cybersecurity initiative? Well, I can tell you some of my buddies who are CISOs talk about this right. and they're not happy. So basically you've got two battles. All right. Um, I'm going to check box off the regulatory things. I need budget to address that. Um, the board's going to support it, obvious reasons. But then they say, okay, now, I, now I'm going to go out and I'm going to fight the real fight. Okay. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to kick some ass and I need support. Because that's where the real fight is. That's where the real battle is. And those CISOs that know that, it, it, it's frustrating to them because sometimes their budget has to be allocated to check the box mentality. That's a market driven by regulation and lobbying uh, at to certain degrees and overregulation. So it's a, it's a fine line. Now, the companies that have enough budget to do both, right. good for them. Right. So you mentioned you know, the boards and, you know, passing down the finance and making sure they have the money to meet these regulatory issues. But do members of boards of companies in, in general, do they understand the cybersecurity threat, especially to our critical infrastructure? Do they understand the consequences of a cyber 9-11? It's a great question. Um, as a result of hosting the board of directors CISO workshops that we do in Scottsdale and in Vail, Colorado, uh, I've learned a lot. So what that program is, is to bring in, invite only 30 to 40 CISOs, global CISOs and board members to talk and how do we close the gap between a non-technical, as an example, 70-year-old board member on a highly technical matter and how do you explain holistic enterprise risk across all the business lines versus compartmentalized risk? Or how do we explain benchmarking within the industry or the sector? Are you giving me too much money or not enough money? Or how do you measure? What kind of metrics are we using to articulate to the board uh, that we're okay? Well, a lot of this, again, goes back to education and building trust. Some of the CISOs will have one-off meetings with these board members. They'll actually fly from San Francisco to Chicago to sit down and have coffee with the board member to educate them and get consensus individually before they have that 20 minutes or 15 or 30 minute time frame within those meetings so that there's not a lot of discussion that people are on board. And this takes time. And the other part is some companies are hiring CISOs to sit on publicly traded boards as more kind of a trust but verify approach with the existing CISO and the, and the company. So I think my experience with board members and uh, CEOs, the, the limited experience I've had with them, maybe because they're in the cyber circle, they seem to have a, a good understanding of, of the situation at hand. And the corporate CISOs that I've had speak at Signet, for example, Gerald Hassel spoke last year in New York at the Innovation Summit. He's the uh, chairman CEO of BNY Mellon, just stepped down last month. Um, and, and Bob Dudley, the CEO of BP, spoke in London, did a keynote, and, and then I interviewed Gavin Patterson, the CEO of BT. I have to tell you, their grasp of cyber was impressive. It was actually um, a lot more than, than what I thought. Well, that's after, fantastic. Uh, I, I mean, that's really speak. encouraging. You talk about the money that's coming in the cybersecurity, and it just keeps – the numbers keep going up and up. Forbes magazine – 
just came out with an article that says that the estimated spend in cybersecurity space is expected to go to $230 billion now to, by 2021. That's up from the recent estimates of about $200 billion. It was at about $120 billion a year or two ago. We're at $175 billion now. So the growth in this space is off the charts. And I still see the naysayers on on uh, on social media. There's no way that you're going to get a 34% growth rate year, year over year. But it, it seems to be growing that way. In fact, the United States government spent uh, their increase in cybersecurity was exactly 34%, I believe, uh, in this space. So do you see this spend, con- you know, this, this trend in spending continuing the way it is? I, I think it's going to settle out a little bit. Um, I still think it'll trend up because we haven't figured out the problem. And frankly, we haven't had serious pain. And if you think about pain, pain drives change. So when people die or there are situations like uh, the Susan B. Komen Foundation where, or there's the Mothers Against Drunk Driving, uh, these, these type of situations, they're driven by emotional pain. And we really haven't had that situation that is that um, groundbreaking, painful moment where regulators and government are, are going to react like they did right after 9-11. You remember, George, we woke up one day in October in 2001. All of a sudden, the Secret Service, who'd been under Treasury since 1865, right. was now right. under Department of Homeland Security. Now, I think the M&A uh, numbers will continue to be robust because this buy versus build decision is no longer a debate. It is a, a more of a buy market. There was uh, $4 billion dollars. Um, in M&A activity last year, and I think there was about uh, $3.5 billion in, 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 uh, in investments um, last year in the, uh, in the cybersecurity space. Actually, it was $5.1 billion and, um, and $20 billion in, in M&A volume. So, yeah, it's a ton of money. It's not going to go away soon. But I do think there's going to be a settling out. I think there's a lot of companies out there that are just kind of hanging on. Um, and we'll see what happens in 2018 if, if some fall out. But you're going to, you are going to see continued M&A. Definitely. So, Robert, I want to say that I'm very excited to have Signet as a special partner to Task Force 7 Technologies and, and the global cybersecurity network that we're going to embark on building this year. That we're going to kick off this year. So I'm very much looking forward to working with you and Signet to help solve some of the biggest cybersecurity challenges that we face today. I really appreciate you coming on. Hey, George, thanks for being a great friend and a great partner. It was an honor to be on well, your you show. You got it. So Thank we've you. run out of time, folks. And Robert, once again, thanks so much for coming on, being such a great partner to Task Force 7. I'd love to have you back often and maybe even broadcast live at a sign event somewhere. That's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I, I really appreciate you, brother. Uh, look, I want to remind our listeners to visit the Cybersecurity Hub to read a recap of tonight's show and get other breaking cybersecurity news at cshub.com. That's the cybersecurity hub at cshub.com. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. You're listening to Task Force Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Stay frosty out there. Thank you for tuning in this week to Task Force 7 Radio. To learn more about Task Force 7 Radio, 
please visit our website at taskforce7radio.com. Be sure to join your host, George Reedus, again next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.